we're live. Good afternoon, uh, professional humans. This is Ellie Rader. I'm here with my co-host, Aileen Guiney, and our guests, Terry Harris and Lynn Farmer. Hello, ladies. Hello. Hello. One more hello. Hi, Ellie. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Uh, so we are here uh, to have another conversation in the series that we've been doing about um, uh, allyship and uh, really race relations at work. And Lynn and Terry have agreed to come and have a conversation with us today where they share some of the experiences they've had. And for this episode, we wanted to um, dive into some of the more positive experiences that they've had with allies because we've we've been talking about some things that haven't gone super great uh, in the last couple of episodes so we wanted to uh, talk about some good things first of all though I'm going to turn it over to Aileen uh, to do a little bit of context setting in case you're listening to this uh, sometime in the future so that you understand a little bit about what's happening in our world right now this week which is changing pretty rapidly so Aileen yeah thanks Ellie so you know as of September 2020 um, the amount of change is, is clearly unprecedented which is a word we keep hearing in 2020 but right now where we're at you know the economy continues to struggle um, unemployment's getting slightly better um, but the GDP just recorded its steepest decline on record um, in the second quarter at about negative 30. Um, so far this summer, we've had both the Democrat and Republican national conventions. And for the first time, those were virtual. Uh, each party took really different positions on the topics of racial equality and Black Lives Matter and civil unrest. Um, goes without saying that the country right now is deeply polarized and has been um, really all year heading into the election uh, just a little bit of a uh, flavor on that. 61% of Americans that currently support Biden said they would feel anger if Trump is reelected. Uh, violence between police and black Americans, as well as an unsettling rise in cases of violence between protesters from opposing views continues along major American cities. And somewhere in the middle of that, we had two hurricanes make landfalls uh, along coasts adding an incredible amount of stress. And on the COVID front, um, while Americans are, you know, increasingly accepting social distancing practices and wearing masks in most locations, um, there's promise of vaccines, but COVID continues to be a, a background on this entire topic, um, particularly for communities of color and the disproportionate impact that COVID is having there. And, and it was just, last just also, today. Just today, we passed 200,000 deaths. Yeah, it's a staggering milestone. Um, you know, last I'll say is, you know, the other major tenet of what's going on right now is that broadly the rate of Americans that are reporting, you know, feeling anxiety and depression is on the rise. And certainly all of this comes into our lives as professional humans and um, you know, the backdrop for the conversation today. So um, I think we're going to go uh, first to Lynn. You want to take it away, Ellie? Aileen, did you not want to mention that the whole West Coast is on fire? 
Ellie wanted me to also mention that at some point it was monarch butterfly season. <laughs> I was trying to like, she was, but I, I read the list of, of things that were going wrong in the world and I was like, geez, what, like, that's heavy. What good has happened? And then I was like, oh, there were a bunch of monarch butterflies though, <laughs> but I don't think Aileen saw any of them. I didn't. And you know, I didn't even mention um, RBG passed away, um, which certainly for, yes, certainly for all of us on many different fronts is um, it's just more sad news on top of our really hard year. Yeah. So um, on that note, let's talk about some of the examples of, of positive allyship and, and good experiences that have happened in the workplace. And um, Lynn, I appreciate you um, raising this as the topic for this discussion. Um, do you have um, a story top of mind um, on just someone that you've worked with in your career, whether it's recent or, or in the past, where that just really stood out to you as an example of wow, that person really sees me. And I feel like that person um, is here to actually help and, and not coast or worse, make things harder for me. Definitely. Um, so again, hi, my name is Lynn. I am 25 plus years into my career, mostly corporate experience. Um, and so I have experiences kind of working my way from kind of an entry level just out of college positions all the way up into, you know, senior executive leadership. And so all the things I've faced along the way. Um, one of the examples that I have is when, uh, when allyship worked. Um, and, and I will say this is really important to me because I think, um, you know, I want to show people positive examples that they can emulate. Um, things that you can do that are within your power, within your sphere today. Um, and this is an example for me. So I was young in my career, um, new at a big corporation here in town. And I thought I, I was doing a great job. And I thought I was doing everything on paper that I needed to do. But at the same time, I could tell, you know, people just weren't excited about my work. And I couldn't put my finger on it. So I went to my then boss and said, hey, I feel like I'm getting some strange reactions. What's going on? And the person came back to me a day or two later with a two-page document front and back, which I should say I still have as a reminder um, from 1996 um, of what I should have been doing. And so I was really surprised by that. I thought I was just doing everything I could. And to put this in perspective, I was the most junior member of the team. And so I'm like, wow, I had no idea that you wanted me to take this kind of leadership role and take the lead and, and initiate all these different activities. The good news was the person shared that with me. And I could tell she was a little nervous and that's okay. But honestly, the fact that I got the information was the most important. And then I said to myself, well, that's never gonna happen to me again. <laughs> and so I've definitely take, taken that as a lesson to not let, let things be unsaid, when I feel something is awkward, when I think I'm not getting the full story, I will continue to gently press to make sure that I have all the information to do my job successfully. And in the case of this individual, I, again, clearly she was uncomfortable, but she gave me the information that I needed to be successful and then supported me along the way, asking me what I needed. And the, the good to come out of this story is that I got 
promoted multiple times in that particular area. And so that was not a stumbling block for me or for my career. And so, you know, I really, I think about that person. I still have that piece of paper um, and it taught me, you know, one of my professional lessons. Um, I don't think that situation is unique to just people of color, but I will say it very often happens to people of color. And so I think as we talk about people who are walking into a space where the majority of the people don't look like them, think like them, or talk like them, I think they need special care. And so I think the listeners of, of this you know, broadcast, that is one thing that you can do in support of diversity and people of color. When, as a, one of the more junior members of the team, how, it must have been really difficult for you to have that conversation. You're obviously feeling these things, feeling nonverbal cues, you have a hunch. Um, what did you have to do to get the nerve up to go confront that person or ask about this? Yep. Um, one of the things that I think is critical for any individual, but especially for people of color, is having a great mentor. And so one of the things the organization did when I, I came in was they paired me with another woman. We are still friends to this day and mm -hmm. go out for lunch, uh, even though neither of us work at the company anymore. Um, but having someone who you know is in your corner, who you can kind of lay it all on the line with. And so having that kind of sounding board going, okay, here's some, Lynn, you should think about it this way, or here's some questions you should ask. I think having that level of support is really important. And I found myself often taking on that role as I became more senior in my position. But I think anybody can play that role. You just don't have to be a person of color just to be that kind of sounding board. So I think one of the things we may have talked about on a previous broadcast is there's kind of mentors mm -hmm. and then there's allies and then there's sponsors. This is kind of more in that mentoring, that first level, where you, you're, you have a relationship with this person, you're their sounding board, you can pose questions to them, but you're, you're really there to kind of be their confidant. And this person was that for me. And I think that really helped prepare me for this other conversation that was really difficult. Awesome. And as you developed a relationship with that boss over the next however many years, it sounds like that, that relationship grew and, and got really good, right? Um, how did you continue? It wasn't just that, that one com conversation that happened, right? For me, going back to, I kept that piece of paper and I kind of used that as my roadmap um, to say, okay, let's talk about the things that make people successful in this organization and let's make sure that I am checking off the boxes of what makes people successful. And I think one of the things that piece of paper did is it made it not, it made it obvious. It, it was documented as opposed to things that are left unsaid, people, things that assume, and we know what about assuming will do. Mm -hmm. You just assume somebody knows something. It made it concrete. It made it specific. It made it actionable and timely. I'm talking smart goals here, people. <laughs> um, I, I but, yep. Uh, but those are the kind of things that I think, again, any new person in any organization um, needs in order to be successful. And I'll say, you know, again, later in my career, one of the jobs I had was we onboarded new fresh college graduates three times a year. And so you, as a leader, I even saw even more how important having those concrete goals um, 
uh, available to individuals, how important that is. Yeah. What are the signs you watch for in those junior people that they're, they're in that situation where they're like, ah, something isn't quite right and I don't know who to go to? Um, what are the signs? Um, sometimes we're in conversations, let's say we're in group meetings or team meetings, and they're like 30 degrees off topic. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's, some kind, that's sometimes a sign. Couple um, clicks away. Yep. Um, I'm very big on goal setting for my teams and mm -hmm. making sure what sometimes if I ask someone to set a goal and it's not in alignment with strategy. Um, mm -hmm. I also will say I do try to find out where people's passions are and try to make sure that there's a, an alignment between the individual and the organization. And do they understand what those ex expectations are? I'm very big on when people are new in role, um, reading through your job description on your first day. I know you, you saw it during the um, <laughs> interview process, but it's completely different when your boss is reading it to you verbatim on your first day and asking you, do you have any questions? Um, and checking in with those individuals. I think that's really important too and giving them an opportunity to share what they, what they like about the job, what they don't like, what they're struggling with and making mm -hmm. that um, non-punitive. Um, yeah. I'm not judging you because you're telling me you have challenges. Um, I, I truly do wanna sincerely understand what they are. That doesn't mean people get to dump or um, go on forever and ever. Sometimes there's a limited time frame, but people kind of meet, as leaders, we need to open those doors for individuals to have the, the conversation. And I will say, as a leader, they're crazy uncomfortable. So I think as leaders, we have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. We Absolutely. sit in a really, you know, that, that's what we get paid to do. And I think sometimes we too, as humans, will default to our comfort zone. And I think as leaders, are we putting ourselves front and forward and doing things that are uncomfortable for ourselves? Yep. Uh, what I love about your story is that um, everyone in the everyone in the equation has a responsibility. So absolutely, if you're if you're the leader, you have a responsibility to be uncomfortable. If you're the junior and you're not getting what you need from the leader, you have a responsibility to say something and and call it out so that you can get what you need. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Lynn, I wanted to uh, ask a question. Well, first, ask permission to steal that job description first day thing. I'm 100% doing that from now on. That's so brilliant. Um, you said a phrase, um, you know, not leaving thing, those things you, that are left unsaid. I wondered if you could just say a little bit more about, you know, the impact that you think um, leaving things left unsaid has, you know, can have on, particularly on a junior member of, of a junior employee or um, someone that's really trying to grow in their career. Yeah. Um, I think this, again, I think it happens with all, you know, entry level and junior employees, but I think this particularly happens to people of color because, you know, we're often coming from different environments, different backgrounds, different um, experiences. And I think that when, again, when there are assumptions or things are left unsaid, um, you assume somebody knows something and they, they may not. And sometimes you just open the door like, hey, I'm assuming that you know this, but do you? Okay, great. It's great that you know that. Or it's, oh, okay, well, let me share. Let me get you the resources that you need. But I think that, um, you know, one of the challenges specifically in Minnesota is Minnesota nice. That we don't want to say anything uncomfortable or, you know, like 
uh, hurt someone's feelings. And I, um, again, we will all die on the hill of Minnesota nice. I think as um, we want increasingly diverse workplaces, that may not function well for us. And I think we have to be obvious and overt about communicating with people and figuring out where is that space for me where I can, you know, again, ask these questions and not assume that somebody knows something or, or knows the expectation of the workplace. Um, I'll give another interesting example. I worked in an area in the fashion industry and uh, they had a lovely term called taste level. And people could sink or swim based on their taste level, which was so subjective. And the reality is even in that field, there are objective ways to measure that. And I think the more objective that we can be, the more that it, it helps everyone across the board. So it's not just people of color, it's the shy person in your group. It's not just the shy person, it's someone else who may have something on that's going on in their personal life um, that they can't share. So I think if we can speak more objectively about what we're trying to do, that helps as well. Lynn, that was well said. I, there's a ton of room for progress there, not just for um, people of color, but for all of us to get clearer about what the scoreboard is um, as we go about our work life. Terry, I'm going to go to you um, and ask you the same question that Ellie asked when um, for stories of when this has gone well, either in your professional career or, or in a colleague. So one of the stories that I saw go really well, and hello, I'm Terry. Um, I have been a lawyer uh, practicing in the Twin Cities for a really long time, over 25 years, and I'm happy to be here. Um, one of the times that I saw it go really well uh, involved um, an early uh, stint at a law firm and one of the other associates. And in this case, uh, the associate was an African-American woman and she was languishing. She was not uh, getting great assignments. She was assigned to the corporate group, which in that firm was the hot, hot, hot team. But somehow there was never enough work there for her, even though there was work for other people. And she was going through what I will say is a very familiar pattern. We see a lot, uh, particularly with attorneys of color, where they don't get work, so they don't get experience, so then they aren't seen as valued, so then they don't get work, so then they don't get experience, and ultimately they leave. She, though, and I think this is an interesting one because there are responsibilities, again, as uh, Eileen, you said earlier, Eileen, in, the, um, in Lynn's example, for a variety of people, she had been out doing some networking. And in this case, she ended up meeting an African-American woman who was in a senior leadership position at a large company in town. And when she spoke to the woman, the woman asked her what firm she was with. And she told her, and the woman said, oh my goodness, this firm does all of our corporate work. And she said, have you been working on the files? And the young associate said, no. Um, and the woman said, I'm gonna make some phone calls. So the woman made a phone call to her contact at the firm who happened to be this very senior, one of the most financially powerful partners in the firm who had this book of business for this particular corporation at this firm. And she said to him, you know, I need to see this young associate on a couple of my files. And I don't pretend to know what he was thinking when he handed, when he gave the instructions to the partners beneath them to put her on the files. 
Um, but when they put her on the files, they learned what some of us actually had known for a long time, that she was a brilliant attorney. And they quickly were like, oh my goodness, why have we not been using her? And she went on to become one of the most valued attorneys on that team until she chose to take a job in another state uh, in-house, which actually broke their hearts because they were like, wow, she has got such a great future. Um, what always scares me about this story was how close she was to leaving at the moment this all took place. But I think it's got great um, value because it shows her taking the initiative, the associate, to step out and try and meet people um, in different areas in the cities in an effort to network and to make connections. Most importantly, the woman who was this SVP realized she had the power to see someone and make something happen. Um, and in this case, it was calling uh, the partner who had the work. And then for the partner who got the call, now granted, given the size of client that she was, I, I don't think he would have rejected the call, but some people get their backs up a little bit. Who are you gonna tell, who are you to tell me who to put on a file? But he put her on the file and gave her a chance to do the work. Sometimes I become concerned that we are so focused um, in some cases on diversity and getting in diverse people that it's almost as if once we bring them in, in our minds we say, okay, we've checked the diversity box, awesome. And we kind of stop doing for them the things that we would do for anyone else, um, any white male, for instance. Are they happy? Are they getting the work that they need? Are they building the skill sets that they need? Um, what are the projects they've been working on? And by the way, if the answer to those questions are no, why? Are they resisting? Are we resisting? Um, I realize that it's hard out there for everyone uh, in the workplace. We all have challenges, um, uh, no matter what our background is. But I think this is a unique struggle uh, for, uh, for people of color and, and oftentimes diverse people to a particular environment. Terry, you raised a new a new sort of actor in this play, which is, you know, the customer, uh, which, you know, we've talked about before, can have an outsized influence at times. What would you say, you know, is something that customers can do to take power for those of folks maybe listening who are in, um, you know, more consultancy roles or, um, you know, may have leverage that they're not even using uh, to really get, um, uh, and spread diversity? Customers have tremendous leverage and power. And interestingly, the best example is actually in the legal industry. Um, because not only do the customers often, we are the ones who are paying, obviously, to get the legal services. So in the case of corporations or businesses, paying law firms for those services. But to the extent that the customer has uh, in-house legal staffs, Corp, you know, corporations have in-house legal staffs. We are, those same firms are often the recruiting ground for the legal staff. So not only is it a good thing, quote, you know, quote unquote, um, for society that we are pushing um, firms to bring in and utilize and empower their attorneys of color, but it's incredibly beneficial personally that they are also developing the team, you know, the field team, so to speak, um, the recruiting field for 
many corporations and many businesses. And in fact, many corporations have, are at the point where they are going to law firms with actual metrics and saying, hey, I need to know, what are your numbers for whether it's um, diverse associates, diverse partners, um, what are you recruiting? How are my files staffed? Make it personal. I would like to see this on my files. And it is amazing how fast people will turn at that moment. The idea being, we all like to do what is comfortable, right? It, it isn't a stretch for me um, to ask my sister to do something, right? I can talk shorthand to her, I can, um, or someone who comes from my community or my neighborhood or who's lived nearby. Um, and so that has the impact of meaning that we are often much slower to do the exact same actions with someone who doesn't look like us, who doesn't share our background, who maybe is um, of a completely different age than us, or maybe has an ability that um, is not one that we're as familiar with or exposed to or a challenge. Um, and it's amazing how quickly we'll just back up and go, ooh, maybe, maybe I won't ask that question. Maybe I won't have them work on that assignment. Not that I think there's anything wrong with them, but I don't want to take that on. Um, I, personally, I was I, one of the best mentoring experiences I had um, interesting, it came from a partner at a law firm. And it was because this was a challenge for this partner in many other ways, but for me, it happened to be beneficial. He was a bit obtuse. He just was one of those people who was like, okay, we're going to do this. And he just didn't seem to notice sometimes that there were barriers in the road. And I remember that we had a client set that were down in, um, near Parsons, Kansas. There are four cities that come together, Chanute, Parsons, and I apologize, I can't remember the other two. And he looked at me and he said, all right, you're gonna get on a plane, you're gonna go down there, and you're gonna go um, handle this matter. And even I stopped and thought, where are these cities? Who, where am I going? And these turned out to be you know, virtually all white, tiny towns. But to his deep credit, he put me on that plane. He did not give it a second thought and was like, you're going to go handle this matter and this is going to be great. And it was. Um, I think it's surprising though how often other people might have stopped. Oh, will she be comfortable? Oh, should I have her go? Oh, is that going to look odd? Um, and that is part of the challenge that a lot of people who are diverse struggle with in work settings. I think one of my one of my biggest fears in all of this is that, as you said, Terry, that we will strive to check the box of diversity, but then entirely overlook inclusion of, that, of those people, making them feel welcome, part of the team, that their needs are being met, that they're growing as professional humans, that they're you know, contributing and, and, and empowered. And also that we will entirely overlook the benefit to the work itself. Uh, so easy, you know, Aileen, you just mentioned Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It's easy to look at, you know, just looking at something from a different perspective because of where you're coming from and, and the power that that can have in the work itself and the progress that can be made because of that. It, um, I think that's one of my biggest fears is that we'll, we'll forget that we should do this because our work will be so much better. 
isn't there a statistic, and I won't have the exact statistic, about diverse boards of corporations mm -hmm. and their long-term economic gains? Mm -hmm. There are connections there, but because it's so hard in the short term, people often forego those long-term gains. I'm with you. I think the most, one of the most frustrating um, sort of uh, things that get missed is the business case behind diversity. And um, it's what we must do for a lot of reasons that folks on this call and that may be listening um, already know. Um, those are the right reasons. And we, you know, we sometimes need to cite those reasons, but um, the work is better. We'll stop. And we don't really get an opportunity to talk about that as much as um, I wish we did. Um, Lynn or Lynn and Terry, before we, uh, you know, maybe let you off the hot, hot seat, I wanted to know, uh, you know, uh, Lynn made a declaration that we were all going to die on the hill, of Minnesota nice. And uh, I'm not. I'm not from here. Uh, nor am I. We're, neither of us are. Okay. And I'm just saying, like, we're from Wisconsin. <laughs> and, uh, and for people who didn't catch it, Terry and I are sisters, so it's not like we're from far away. <laughs> so, so nobody on this call is nice. We can use this as an opportunity to judge Minnesotans. It's fine. <laughs> None of us are Minnesotans. <laughs> Honestly, we've both been here so long. We're claiming Minnesota. We're just claiming it. Our children are Minnesotans. Oh, they are. True fact. Where were you going with that, Aileen? <laughs> oh, I, I wanted to know if, if Terry agreed, because I, I, on a more serious note, I, I do think there's something for those folks that are listening uh, that aren't from Minnesota. There's something like deeply cultural that happens in Minnesota where people suddenly, when you send, spend this, you know, some specific amount of time here, some critical mass, you become unable to be direct about <laughs> feelings and opinions. Um, and it's, it's a really, it's, it's a problem. And, you know, I, uh, I think the point you made is, is, is funny, but it's also, it's also serious. Um, it's, we've got a macro issue here. It's one of the single biggest um, problems that I see in the corporate world in Minnesota is the failure to be direct. And I see it manifesting in, in a couple of ways. One, it manifests obviously when we don't share um, negative feedback or challenges so that people never learn, they never grow. Um, to Lynn's point, uh, my husband has worked for years um, in the HR and employee relations field and could cite you chapter and verse how many times people have come uh, in his professional experience saying, this person needs to be fired. They just need to be fired. With this long list of issues and challenges, and then he has said, so what did they say when you told them this about the challenges? What did they say in response to these um, concerns that you had? The shocking number of times people said, oh, I, well, I, I haven't actually shared. Well, I, I kind of said, well, they haven't actually shared what's going on. So they've robbed this individual of the opportunity to learn and grow. Um, and so that um, is a huge challenge while standing and appearing as if things generally are okay. It's at the point where I tell people who are new to my company to a, affirmatively ask how things are going. Do not wait for someone to tell you. And if the answer is anything less than wonderful, great job. <laughs> it's the code. 
that is a sign that there's a problem. But the other problem I actually see as well is I can think of um, a couple of experiences, um, some that have happened to me personally, some that have happened to others, where people have left environments feeling like, you know what, clearly I am not valued. And had people look at them and go, wait a minute, we, we were going to put you in line for a promotion. Oh, we were, we were thinking you were going to take over this area. And again, had failed to communicate that this person was on track. They were making progress. There was some thought process going on there. I don't know if that's a lack of trust. I'm, and again, it seems to happen more to diverse and particularly um, uh, people of color than it does to other people. And I can't, I'm not going to try and claim all the reasons why, but I've actually seen that context as well. Lynn, is there anything you would add to that? Ditto. Okay. Um, <laughs> just, just ditto. Um, yeah. Yep. It, it happens more than I would like in, in terms of, uh, again, sharing with where people are. And what's interesting is, we have so many HR procedures and feedback forms. And I mean, there's just all this, you know, process and structure around feedback, especially in larger organizations. But then somehow there's still this failure to communicate how you feel someone's work is. And it, it, it does the individual such a disservice. Um, you know, to the organization, they, the individual might want to be better. And as a leader, that helps you to continue to grow as well. So um, I would just echo what Terry said. I think one thing I've learned <clears throat> as I have come into the Minnesota workforce from not Minnesota and have had a very direct approach is people will ask me or think that it's just how I am. And it's, it's not, that's, that's not how I just am. I can do that. I can have those conversations because I practice. I, I just practice and anyone can do it if you practice. So I think um, there's this kind of barrier of, well, I'm not like that. I, I, you know, I can't have these conversations. It's, it's hard and, and that's not who I am as a person. Um, but I, I don't believe that. I think it's, I think it's a matter of practice. Can I add something fun? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. In the spirit of things people can do, um, one of the perils of many workplaces is like lunch <laughs> and yeah. having conversations. And so some of the best managers I have really think about how do we have conversations that are inclusive that everyone can participate in. Mm -hmm. And sometimes if we're talking about the cabin, that's not a conversation that everyone can participate in. Mm -hmm. But if we say everyone bring a second grade picture, that could be a, a something that we could all contribute in. And so I think um, as leaders, um, I think those are really small investments that you can make in people and in teams. And they're fun. You know, like one day my team decided to share dad jokes. But I, <laughs> I definitely say and they were really bad. Um, but again, I always look for these opportunities to have everybody in the group speak up and share their experience, share their sense of humor. And I think that builds community. Um, it builds something of um, people getting to know each other. So then when you have that more constructive feedback to give, you've already made that little bit of investment over time where you're like, okay, I know they know I mean the best, 
So I'm going to give it a shot and give them this feedback, whether it's, and it could be really good or what have you, but um, I just don't want to make sure we lose the little moments of things that people can do to be inclusive and to be joyful. That's awesome. That is an awesome note to end on, Lynn. Thank you so much. Thank you also, Terry. Thank you, Aileen. Thank you to the child who appeared in Aileen's screen. <laughs> this is the new normal. Strangers appear in our, in our backgrounds from time to time. Um, I am going to uh, wrap this recording up. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Thanks, Thank you.